Our lesson this week, Lesson 101 in a series of theological studies, is on the doctrine of hell. This is a very unsavory subject, and I may preface my remarks at the beginning by saying I don't particularly appreciate uh, talking about hell. I don't get any particular enjoyment out of discussing it or giving you what the Bible says about it. I think sometimes the international socialists and communists and pagan North African uh, Romans have some wild idea that we born-again Bible-believing preacher get a, preachers get a particular pleasure out of talking about people going to hell, and we certainly don't. We talk about people going to hell because the Bible talks about people going to hell. We preach about hell because Christ preached about it eight times in three and a half years, which is better than two times a year. We talk about people going to hell because that's uh, the main verse Christ quoted in the New Testament. The main verse that Christ quoted in the New Testament, more than any other verse, was from Isaiah 66, and had to do with people going to hell. The New Bibles uh, resented this very deeply because the New Bibles are made by positive thinkers for positive people who positively reject what God has to say they don't like. So the New Bibles have carefully removed the quotation twice from the Gospel according to Mark. However, verse for verse, quotation for quotation, the most commonly quoted verse in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus Christ is on hell. It is a quotation from Isaiah 66:24, which you would do well to take note of, Isaiah 66:24. That verse is quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ more than any verse in the entire Old Testament. Jesus' favorite verse to be quoted had nothing to do with love or peace or salvation. It had to do with people going to hell. For this reason, the new Bibles, any, have erased Mark chapter 9, verse 46, and Mark chapter 9, verse 48, from the New Testament. Jesus quotes Isaiah 66, 24, three times in one chapter. Since the modern apostate Laodicean fundamentalists and apostate conservatives and apostate liberals and apostate evangelicals cannot stand this negative emphasis given by their Savior and the Lord of their life, if they are saved, they have simply knocked the word slap out of his mouth. If you have a corrupt version like the new ASB or the international version or any of the modern adulterated corruption, you will find Mark 9.46 and 9.48 have been taken out of the Bible because the apostate conservatives who made these translations resent the negative emphasis Jesus Christ placed on this passage. It is rather a soul-sobering thought, if not a soul-shattering thought, to observe that Jesus' favorite passage in the Old Testament was on hell. So the, his speech has been adjusted by the modern apostate to match the deluded fancies of their particular private interpretations. Now, way back in lesson number 40, many months ago, we were studying Satan. And we found in our study of demonology that hell of the lake of fire was his final destiny. The angels that sinned with Satan are even now in hell waiting for judgment, according to 2 Peter 2.4, where we read, If God has spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them to the chains of darkness, they are reserved unto judgment. The Bible teaches and states clearly that the wicked who reject Christ will be turned into hell, and in Psalm 9.17, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. But the Bible declares there is an everlasting hell in very dogmatic language. Hell is a reality, an awful fact to be realized, and not done away with by the private hallucinations of Rutherford or Russell. There are 162 texts in the New Testament alone which speak of the doom that awaits the impenitent, and over 70 of 162 references were uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
The attempt by the modern Russellite or Noheller to make hell refer to the grave is the height of stupidity and simplicity. Uh, you couldn't imagine a man thinking that a furnace of fire was the grave. Imagine that. How do you talk about hell being the grave when it's said to be a furnace of fire? How can you talk about hell being the grave? Well, when Jesus Christ speaks about hell, he's talking about, he's telling you that you better be born with one hand or one foot or cut your hand or foot off rather than go there. Now, what man in his right mind would think he'd be better off crippled than in the grave? Why, you're going to the grave whether you're crippled or not. Imagine that. Christ said in Mark chapter 9, 43, It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. Do you mean to tell me it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into the grave? I mean, let's get off the lunatic fringe, shall we? Why would Christ warn a man such fierce terms about hell that he'd say you'd better cut off your hand or your foot or put out your eye rather than go there if hell's the grave? Why, listen, you're all going to the grave anyway. What would be the point in cutting off one of your members? Now, let's get back to sound exegesis here and leave the nuts on the funny farm. What is hell according to the Bible? Hell is banishment from the presence of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, You shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord from the glory of his power. In the Bible, hell is a place of torment and punishment. It is never a place of dirt. There isn't one tombstone or a shovel load of dirt connected with hell anywhere in Luke 16.23. The man is in hell after he's buried. Luke 16.23 says he was buried, comma, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. Some scoff and say, where is hell? Well, that's easy. It's under your feet. They're gone down into hell, Ezekiel 32, 27. Hell is down under your feet, Isaiah 14, 9. In number 16, 30, the earth opened and they went down alive into the pit. There's no doubt about what, where hell is. When Jonah died, his soul went down through hell, and it was in the heart of the earth where Christ went after he died. In Acts chapter 2, verse 31, Acts chapter 2, verse 27, you're told the Lord Christ so went through hell, it was not left in hell. In other words, the Bible teaching this is so clear that you have to go to Hebrew or Greek to get rid of it. One of the problems of study in hell, of course, is the fact that people have a great prejudice against it because they don't believe God's testimony. The unsaved man cannot believe he's bad enough to deserve to go there. The unsaved man or the demon-possessed Christian cannot believe that a good God who is holy and just would let a man burn forever. Strange enough, some of these demon-possessed Christians think that God would let a man and his wife die for taking a piece of fruit in a garden. Capital punishment for stealing fruit. Isn't that strange? And yet the same people wouldn't think that God would let a man burn forever for trying to make a liar out of God. The truth of the matter is, every man who is trusting his own righteousness has told God, verbally or otherwise, that his righteousness is equal to God's righteousness. And if you want to know why a man goes to hell, that's why he goes to hell. It isn't for any some little crime like adultery, fornication, perversion, murder, lying, swearing, killing, stealing, swindling, or blackmailing. It is for pitting your righteousness against God's. You think all you get for that is the grave, huh?
or annihilation of. Listen, you'll pay for your sins as long as the one lives whom you sinned against. Hell was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Then hell was never intended for man, but if men insist in rejecting heaven through the Savior Jesus Christ, then they will accompany their father the devil forever. We talk about men burning forever in hell. That's where most of you are going. The majority never did trust Christ. I mean, don't get mad with me. Get mad with Jesus Christ. He said, broad is the way many of the be that go in there at. The majority has never been saved or believe what God had to say about their own depravity. When we talk about men going to hell and burning forever, we're talking about misfits. God didn't make hell for men to go to. God made hell for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25. Depart from you, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Making a distinction between hell and the lake of fire won't do you any good. In Revelation chapter 20, hell is cast into the lake of fire. Did you notice that? Did you notice in the duration of hell, the Bible says in Matthew 25, these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous in the life eternal? The very idea of saying that in the grave, punishment is everlasting. The very idea of saying that out in the lake of fire, although the punishment is everlasting, those who receive it have been annihilated. Boy, you talk about a bunch of lunatic fringe nuts, man. We got them. How do you punish somebody who's been annihilated? Will you tell me that? You know what Daniel said about the people who went to hell? He said in the resurrection, resurrection of damnation when those people come up, he says, some shall awake to everlasting shame and contempt. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Now tell me something. You people trying to make a lie out of God while acting pious and quoting Scripture. You scriptural perverts who are resting the Word of God to your own destruction by running around Greek and Hebrew elections talking about Shady, Sheol, and Hades and Gehenna when you couldn't hold a Greek Testament upside down or right side up if somebody gave it to you. Tell me something. What are you going to do when you experience everlasting shame, everlasting contempt, everlasting punishment as the smoke of your torment ascends up forever, Revelation 14. Now, why do men teach annihilation? Because they're pagan daydreamers. And the fancy of their pagan speculation and barbarian imagination, they want to get rid of the idea they could suffer as long as God lives. They would like to think that they can reject God's righteousness. And then by counting on their own righteousness and quoting Scripture to prove they're righteous, that is going by James 2 instead of Romans 5, they can match their righteousness against God's righteousness, and then if they miss the mark or fail to make it, they can be annihilated even though the one they sinned against goes on living. This is the background of what we call the Russellites. And these no-hellers are simply poor wretched, unsaved, scripture-quoting, ungodly, scripture-denying, scripture-perverting, scripture-publishing, unsaved people who have pitted their righteousness against God's righteousness, and because they didn't get assurance of salvation and don't know for certain where they're going when they die, they have hit upon the novel doctrine that in case they missed it, they'll be annihilated. Annihilation is not even a scientific law. You can't create or destroy matter. 
<clears throat> you can change it in energy, but you can't do away with it. Annihilation per se, apart from the fact from something disappearing from your eyesight, is not even a scientific terminology, let alone biblical terminology. <clears throat> you never read in the Bible about the wicked disappearing into nothing in eternity. You read about them going up like smoke when they were burned at the Battle of Armageddon, Malachi chapter 4. You read about Christ destroying them in the fire when he comes at the advent in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 2. But you never read about the wicked being annihilated per se, going into nothing after the white throne judgment. You read they were cast the lake of fire where the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, where they suffer everlasting shame and contempt. Hell in the Bible is a place of punishment, Matthew 25, 46. It's never full, Proverbs 27, verse 20. It is a place of torment, Luke 16, 23. It is a place of fire, Matthew 13, 42. It is a place where the sinner is converted to the original shape of his father, the serpentine class, the worm, Mark 9, 44. In hell, the man reduced to nothing still has the ability to recognize others. He has the ability to cry for help, although the prayer is denied. And before the man hits the lake of fire and is in hell per se, he still desired water to drink and a missionary to go and preach to his brethren, warning them not to come. Hell, then, is a real place. It's a place of smoke, punishment, torment, fire, worms, and the final hell, the lake of fire, doesn't alleviate the condition a bit, although it changes the shape of the soul. And we won't go into that right now because that strong doctrine that's too strong for some of you scriptural babies who've only had 30 years of education. We'll let that one lie for a while. Notice the duration of hell. The Bible repeatedly says both heaven and hell are eternal and everlasting. A fellow said, don't understand it. That's immaterial. A fellow said, I don't think so. That's immaterial. You said, I don't believe it. That's even a blessed consequence. What you believe has nothing to do with the truth. The Bible says, What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Let God be true, but every man a liar. What you think or what you believe about hell is of no consequence at all. What God says about hell is of great consequence, and the way you spot the man that doesn't believe what God says is once God says it, that man will run to the Greek and Hebrew to try to disprove it. You read in Romans chapter 3, verse 3, What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, with every man a liar. In regards to what? Verse 4 and verse 6. The white throne judgment for the unsaved go in the lake of fire. Read it. Romans chapter 3, verse 6. That is, what some of you people think of believe about hell is of no consequence at all. God said it's a place, it's eternal, it burns, it punishes its inhabitants. Its inhabitants are the devil and his angels. And when a man pits his righteousness against God the way the devil did, he goes to hell. Some of you people I'm talking to are going to hell. You're going to burn. Don't you think hell is for junkies, hippies, thinks, hustlers, prostitutes, murphy men, and bootleggers? 
Hell is for the devil and his angels. And if you're the devil's child, that's where you're going. And if you're not God's child, the Bible says you are by nature a child of wrath, Ephesians 2, a child of disobedience, Ephesians 2, a child of the devil, Matthew 23, and since you were born into the wrong family, you must be born again. Now, I realize that's terribly offensive to some of you educated nuts who think your education is equipped you to sit in judgment on the Word of God. And I'll be right frank with you. If you're a down-and-out upper, a lawyer, doctor, banker, physician, dentist, or psychiatrist, who's bound by sin and miserable and wretched in your evil habits and desiring a better life and trying to find your way out through the mist and fogs of your educational background, your sacramental religion, my sympathies are all with you. More power to you. May God reveal Jesus Christ to you as your Savior. May you trust him. But if you're one of these proud, educated nuts that thinks because you've read the Harvard five-foot shelf of classics, you've got brains, I could care less what you think about this message if I stayed up all night. You're going to hell. You're going to burn. You're going to burn like a torch, boy. Your soul can't burn up because it's not physical. Your soul has a bodily shape because the soul in the Bible wear clothes, Revelation 6, and speak, Luke 16 and hear and see, 2 Corinthians 12. Your soul is a bodily shape that will burn forever. You'll burn. You'll burn good. You'll burn as long as God burns. You understand? Our God is a consuming fire. Who's that God? The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you put it down. And you better get, you better get the drift, Snowbank. If God lives forever, somebody's going to enjoy His presence forever, and somebody's not. If God lives forever, it's absolute energy where no entropy can take place, according to the second law of thermodynamics. Those who die in fellowship with Him will enjoy unexpended, unexpendable energy forever in the positive sense. And those who pit their rights against him and their religion and their sacraments and their tradition and their scriptural alibis against his salvation will experience his unexpendable energy forever in the wrong sense. I'm speaking the standpoint of mathematical science for a moment instead of biblical truth. And they both match each other. You'll burn. You'll burn forever. How is it some of you people don't object to heaven being eternal, but you object to hell being eternal? If one ceases, why doesn't the other one? Isn't that strange? Isn't it strange when you read the book by H.G. Wells and similar men like him. H.G. Wells in his outline of history says he had the, in his discussing his life, his preface, he says he had the idea of hell blast out of his mind forever before he was 14 years old, and the word hell occurs 25 times in what follows. Isn't that a strange business? 
bunch of people don't believe in hell. They use it all day long. Now, why is it that the unsaved man, the demon-possessed Christian, objects to the doctrine of an everlasting hell? Well, first of all, he believes this doctrine is inconsistent with his idea of the love of God. But the same Bible that speaks the love of God speaks of the wrath of God, the justice of God, the judgment of God, the truth of God, and the holiness of God. God is balanced. Your idea of the love of God is perverted sex if you think that God wouldn't punish a sinner for his sins. Your idea of the love of God is the Hollywood idea of affection or compromise. God wouldn't compromise his nature to keep you out of hell. Now, you unsaved people better get that. God wouldn't be just and justify the ungodly unless he himself made the payment for their sins. God won't justify the ungodly. If he did, he wouldn't be just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will. God wouldn't do something wrong to keep you out of hell. People object to the doctrine of, of eternal punishment because they say, won't all sin be paid for eventually in the need of eternal punishment? But this is a sick way to look at things. How can the sin be paid for eventually where the man has rejected the payment? Why would you think you'd accept the payment for sin when now, as a sinner, you think you don't need it? Out in hell, would you accept it? If you accepted it then, how could it be attributed to you then when you had no blood? My friend, the payment for sin was shed by somebody who came down here in the flesh and shed blood for sinners who have blood in them. Now, how do you get out there in hell except that payment when you become like the devil and his angels who have no blood? <clears throat> you never read about Christ's atonement on the cross paying for the sins of angels? Why? Because angels have no blood. People have some wild ways of looking at things, don't they? The unsaved man says, well, it's unjust to sentence men to eternal punishment for one sin. Well, that depends on what one sin you're talking about. God never sentenced a man to hell for murder. Moses murdered a man. God never sentenced a man to hell for adultery. David committed adultery. God never sentenced a man to hell for uh, getting out of the will of God. Paul got out of the will of God. God never even sentenced a man to hell for denying Christ under pressure. Simon Peter did. The people who wind up in hell are not people who have committed one crime. They're people who have committed grand treason, deicide, and larceny. They have taken a life of their own that belonged to God. That's grand larceny. They've rebelled against the highest authority in the universe, that's high treason, and their sins have put God manifest in the flesh to death. That's deicide. You don't go to hell for what you've done, sinner. You go to hell for what you haven't done. Men don't die because they're sick. They die because they don't get well. Is that clear? The sin that confines a sinner to eternal punishment in hell is not a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission. 
Some who say, won't the doomed repent and seek the Lord and be forgiven in hell? It'd be impossible if they did repent. The prayers for deliverance are denied. Well, that fellow Luke 16 couldn't even get water, let alone get out of hell. Is it not cruel, some unsaved man says, to think of the doom being driven to perdition? To the contrary, the ungodly are believed to get away from the holy presence of a righteous God, and nothing would be desired by the unsaved man more than to get out of heaven and get away from God, the Father and Jesus Christ, the Savior who loved him and died for him, and get away from this one whom he rejected, and whom he used his name as a curse word in many cases, and get away from him where he doesn't have to deal with him. How would an unsaved man enjoy heaven, I ask you, where they worship God day and night and give all the credit to the Lamb who loved them and died for them when the unsaved man didn't give credit to the Lamb and didn't trust him? You reckon an unsaved man be happy in heaven? Why, heaven would be hell for an unsaved man. Well, you still little know how said the word eternal doesn't mean forever and ever and ever. It does in Romans 16:26. It does in John 3.16, and it does in Hebrews 9.15. Why did you pick the place where it didn't mean that when you were faced with the pastors where it did mean that? Easy. You're going to hell. Somebody says, sure, you don't believe that God tortures the lost? Of course God doesn't torture the lost. The fire in hell tortures the lost. Why'd you blame the fire on God? God kindled the fire for the devil as angels. It was never intended to torture man. If you get to hell, you'll be a misfit. There are degrees of punishment in hell, according to Deuteronomy 32, 32, and Luke 10, 12, and Mark 6, 11, and Matthew 10, 15. The justice of God demands degrees of punishment, and there will be degrees of punishment in hell. How does one get to hell? Simple, by doing nothing. How shall you escape if you neglect so great salvation? You weren't. You won't. You know the quickest way to get to hell? Just keep on the way you're going. You're doing fine. A lady said to me one time, she said, after all, we're all working to get to the same place. And I said, that's all right. You're going to make it if you're not careful. You work to get wages. The wage of sin or death. And to him that worketh not, but believe on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Where is hell? It's at the end of a Christ-rejecting life. How does one avoid hell? By receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and trusting His righteousness to get you by the judgment instead of your own. May God help you to see this one primary, basic, fundamental, glorious truth of New Testament salvation. The salvation has nothing to do with a series of things to do. It has to do with the imputed righteousness of God given to an unrighteous sinner who trusts God's righteousness instead of his own. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Part any of the counsels of decisions that follow throughout the book of Acts. The last time we read about Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's with the disciples in the upper room, and they are continuing with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, next lesson next week, we'll take up the famous chapter, Acts chapter 2, which is the stumbling block of the New Testament, and which has probably destroyed more souls in American Christianity than any chapter in the Bible outside of perhaps the Sermon on the Mount and 1 Corinthians 13. We hope you will just then to study and take notes and pass them on to those who are interested in learning the Word of God. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good morning.